You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Hey, everyone. I'm Jackie Lewis. Welcome to the third season of Love, Period. In this season, we're exploring what fierce love looks like in a time of trauma, when all around the globe, folks are trying to figure out how to be the best version of human they can be in these difficult and traumatic times. My guest today on Love Period is Tracy Michelle Lewis Gidgets. We met briefly working on a project together, and man, did I like her. It's wonderful to welcome her and her bold, black joy, something she curates with intention in these challenging and hot mess times. She has had quite a time in these last few years. I think our conversation will move you to your own tears and your own joy. Hello, Tracy Michelle Lewis Jiggins. How are you doing today? I am well. How are you? (laughs) Are you? I like that we both have Lewis in our name. Yes, I think we're long lost cousins somewhere. (laughs) Are you good today? I am well. I am, I'm here. Hmm. which is a blessing, mm-hmm. and I'm well today. Today's a good start of the day. Today's a good day. Where are you today? I am at the Jersey Shore. So I knew that, but I needed to covet your Jersey Shore-ness. <laughs> yes. The last time we talked, I was just about in tears thinking about you on the Jersey Shore. <laughs> yes, I had to do it. In the middle of a pandemic, we moved. You said and I, that. It was can the you, best decision ever. Can you, can you tell the listeners... First of all, y'all, you need to look up the Instagram Live that Tracy and I had together a few weeks ago about Black joy and fierce love, and it was all the things. But in the context of that, Tracy was saying that she made this move for her life. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell that story again? Yeah, for for my joy, really. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. You know, I um, have some immune issues, so I probably stayed in a lot longer than a lot of people. And um, that isolation, you know, created some reflection. And I had a conversation with my husband about, um, you know, what what do we really want this, I guess, latter half of our life to look like? And where do we want to be? And I know for me, I, I always used to say, I want a little piece of land by the sea, Um, And so as we begin to really think about what that means and what does a joyful life creating a sanctuary look like, um, we began looking. And we really, you could not have told me that this would be the move that we would make. I mean, we were in right outside of Philadelphia. We were in the city. You know, we were in a a, a twin, what they call a twin, which connected to someone. We were in a community um, and just a series of faith leaps. Um, We ended up with two acres, 15 minutes from the ocean. And we're doing renovations and that kind of thing, which is always its own thing. But it is uh, been such a blessing and such a affirmation, I think, of the intention to always be seeking joy and to create your joy in places where you may not be experiencing it in the moment. So that's the story. (laughs) I'm not kidding when I say how much I admire the bold 
pursuit of joy that that represents. I mean, unapologetic, bold, go get it. And I wonder if you could say why you picked that place. I don't want you to out where you are because, you know, you're fancy and famous and we don't want everyone <laughs> trying to come find you and stuff. <laughs> but why? what made you, what drew you, Tracy, to that two-acre place? What What was it about it that made you know you could curate joy there? You know, um, I never saw myself. I lived in New Jersey you know, 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. I never saw myself coming back. My husband is actually a South Jersey boy. Like okay. he grew up here and he never saw himself returning back. And I think it was a series of circumstances. First of all, the the housing market was bananas. Yes. Right. So I think mm-hmm. we put offers on at least six or seven houses and lost them all because oh, wow. full offers too. You know, it was just, it was just a, you know, our economy and what's going on with the real estate market is just bananas. But that said, I knew that we still needed to be in proximity to Philadelphia just because our community and our people, you know, were there. Um, So I knew we weren't going to go longer than an hour out. Um, And the only way I was going to get to some ocean or to some water (laughs) was to either go to Delaware or to um, New Jersey, South New Jersey. And so um, it was just, I think, You know, when you have that, you walk into a house or you walk into a space and it's a feeling I can't even, I don't even know if I have the words for it. It's just something in your gut that says, hmm, ironically, you know, we couldn't meet on the numbers. Um, And and, and here's here's the other piece of it. There's a Black family living here. And I'm very adamant about, I wanted my daughter to grow up in a diverse community. Yes. I did not want her to be, in particular, in an all-white community, particularly in this climate. That was not an option for me. And there's not many of those in South Jersey. (laughs) So um, when we walked in the door, the previous owners had a big picture of Obama sitting on the table. (laughs) And I said, oh, so they knew that they wanted another Black family in here. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Because usually they make us take our pictures down when you're saying that. Exactly. Do not. (laughs) Exactly. And we talked to the owners and they were like, they told us to take it down. We weren't taking it down. We knew that whoever needed to, you know, whatever family came in after us, you know, would have to be, I guess, you know, a, a, a different kind of family, if you know what I mean. So uh, we went downstairs. It was like Tina Turner and Michael Jackson on the wall. I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, it's oh very clear. Oh, that's funny <laughs> so, to me. Oh my yes. gosh. But we went back on that back deck and the land and the trees, and there was such a quiet in my spirit. And as I've been like studying the contemplatives and Thinking about silence and, and quiet, it just spoke. It, it was like the the bend in the in the bend in the trees with the wind going by just kind of spoke to me. And um, we went through all of the drama of you know bidding on a home, and you know it is God it is drama. It, to happen. it is drama. <laughs> I'm so glad God blessed y'all with that though. That's awesome. You got it. You will tell me your secret place sometime, and I will. Oh, absolutely. You're coming. You're coming down. Yes, absolutely. Tracy, I had a really powerful conversation yesterday about joy. And, you know, folks do get stuck on like, what's joy and what's happiness? And so how do you define joy? Hmm. You know what? 
I think joy, I like to go very somatic, very even scientific, I guess. Um, Biologically in our body, joy is this convergence of of dopamine and adrenaline, all this stuff that happens in response to pleasure. That's a very real thing. We're this dynamic entity God created makes it so that when we experience pleasure, all of this stuff happens in us, right? And um, it creates a bodily embodied response, just like every other emotion, like anger, like sorrow. There's an embodied emotion that happens first and foremost for all of those. And it's the same with joy. And so when I think about joy, I do think about my physical response to pleasure. I think about the undercurrent stabilizing force that lives not just in my body, but also in the spirit. And because sometimes, and I I make this distinction and even in the book that, you know, joy is present when happiness escapes us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we, a lot of times those words are used interchangeably and they're not the same. My ancestors understood joy even when there was nothing happy about their lives. Nothing, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was this presence, you know, if I go real churchy on folks, I'll say joy is a person, Mm. (laughs) right? You know, but like joy (laughs) is this presence, right, that lives in spite of sometimes, you know, the, the circumstances. And so that's probably a long way of defining it. No, no, it. it's beautiful. I actually think joy requires a long response, honestly. I don't know why, you know, um, the person I was talking to yesterday, Paul Rauschenbusch, made me read your section on joy. Read that definition. And as I was reading, I was hearing myself like it's poetic. You know, I'm, uh, Rumi says, if you do something from your soil, it's a soul. Do something from your soul, it's a river, it's a joy. I, I was captured by that quote. And I thought, I kept thinking about what is a river of joy? And so I think your somatic chemical description, biological description, and then that spiritual description, it is a presence. I like that it's a person uh, whose name is Joy. But it is, right, it is both bodily and emotional and psychological. And I think... The experience of joy is the best definition of joy. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why it takes words, right? But like, you know, your head is thrown back laughing or your toe is in the warm sand or you're having a beautiful sexual experience with your partner or your child is squeezing your finger or running and giggling and playing monster with you or like all of those things. People go like, oh, I know what that is. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... I don't know if you if you've been on the shore uh, on an ocean shore and there's these like little fish mm. and um like if you're sitting in the water on the shore they like burrow down yes. into the sand yes. when you're watching <laughs> well, that's the image that comes to me I feel like joy is something that burrows in down in us beneath 
all of the other stuff. And it's so uh, deep in us that it pushes the other stuff up. So that's the reason why you can be so full of joy that you cry. Right. 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 Yes, or you right. or you shake or you are like you want to scream in exaltation. Right. Like it pushes up all that's there. I think right? That's right. And sometimes for some of us who is who are not um, acquainted with our joy or um, who maybe even have a fear of our joy. And that's a very real thing or feel guilt mm-hmm. when we experience joy. I think sometimes the pushing up of all the other stuff makes us deeply uncomfortable, right? And it and so we push we push the we joy push back down. down again. Yeah. Would you say, Tracy? And I'm thinking now about you know the traumatic, crazy, hot mess, American socio political global madness. Does joy rescue us or? heal us. How? How does joy resuscitate us, heal us, right? It definitely heals us. It definitely res- rescue us. But here's, I think, the the catch mm-hmm. is that um, we have to, in times like these, we often have to be intentional about accessing it. It is ever-present. Mm-hmm. Joy is our birthright. It is part of our, like I said, it's embodied. So it's part of who we are. But because rage and sorrow and all of the deep disturbances we may have because of what's going on in the world can become so big in our bodies that sometimes it's hard to access or identify where joy is. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that's a daily waking up and deciding on what my joy will look like today, Mm -hmm. right? That daily decision is probably even more critical in these times, right? Because everything else is so on the surface and so, I mean, you, Roe v. Raid happens and you're just, the rage comes up or, you know, all of this stuff happens and you start to feel all of that. And then you don't know, I have people come to me and say, well, I don't even know where joy is. Like I can't, you know, it's too much going on. Too much to look at it or for, or for it or to even feel entitled to it. Like the, I feel guilty I wrote I wrote the chapter in Fierce Love um, in the kind of love your love your world section. I don't know that we can be world healers, Tracy, or mommies, and or grandpops, or uh, senators, or you know, effectively without curating joy, cultivating joy, seeking the joy that you say is our birthright that's in us, which I agree with one hundred percent. That in a way. Does it? Do we think it's weak? Do people think it's weak to have joy? Do people think they're not entitled to joy? Do people feel guilty, Tracy, if they're doing some joy when the world is on fire? How? Think about that with me. I think for, you know, I write about Black joy. Mm-hmm. And I think for Black people, some of the guilt comes from feeling like we have to earn joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or that when joy comes, because our ancestors went through X, Y, and Z, that somehow we don't have the right to experience joy. I know for me in 2020, you know, and I talk about this a lot, that, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic. There was a lot going on. But for me professionally and even personally, 2020 was a 
really wonderful year. I even hesitate even saying that to you now. Like there's still some of that guilt in me. Why? Say more about it. Because I also know that it was devastating for people, right? That, you know, there was so much loss, economic loss, uh, loss of family members. I understand that it, you know, from the standpoint of isolation and depression and and people that were, I understand what people were experiencing in the world. And at least for that first year, like by 2022, I was over it. <laughs> but, by, <laughs> but, but by 20, in that first year, it felt like a, an enormous blessing to slow down and to be still and to be very focused and intentional on what I really wanted from my career, from my family and all of those things and really be able to have the space and time to think it out, right? But to say that feels like I'm not standing in solidarity with those who lost. Totally, totally relate to that. Totally get that. And, you know, my own 2020 story, I mean, you know, COVID brought my grandbabies to our house. Our little one was exactly three weeks old when they moved in with us. Octavius, named after Octavius Cato, freedom fighter oh, in Philadelphia. My goodness, I right? love that it. That statue. I love it. I'm like, Woo! yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, so this little baby is three weeks old and you know, laying in his bassinet on our kitchen counter on the bed with me, my turn, while I'm on the computer, while I'm zooming in. He's, oh my God. His big sister was too. It was incredible, sometimes crazy. I appointed myself the go-to-the-grocery-store chick, and I was <laughs> obsessive-compulsive about how many groceries I could wash. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, these wipes right here, I'm wiping everything. One day, a man said, ma'am, these are not for that. I'm like, well, what are they for? Why are they here? I'm wiping everything. So exactly. sometimes it was insane, but there were these incredible moments of Ophelia is going to dance outside on the grass and we are going to watch or we're all going to have cocktail hour at five o'clock and, you know, just like and and cook. So, Tracy, we've put joy, we've put black joy and fierce love in conversation before. And I love the way you say, if, you know, if love is the destination, joy is the path. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think that, you know, our mandate, I think our human mandate, our ancestral mandate even is to love, right? Like that is, that's where we're going, right? We are, there's this constant refinement, if you will, of our personality and our character and our our being so that we reach a state of love, right? And Mm -hmm. whatever goes into that. But I think the way that, again, we access it, I think joy is the path. I think joy is the route. Mm -hmm. When you can make room for joy in your body and your spirit, you know, you you expand, right? You like Good. you're making yeah. room, so you're expanding. And that's what love loves, right? This expansion of us, because we can hold more of the people around us, the, the, the different types of people around us, right? We can hold more. And so I really believe that when we are intentional about joy and then after we've been intentional about creating joy it becomes like muscle memory it's like we can't live without our joy moment or whatever it is and we look for it at every turn and around every corner then that leads us to want to give that kind of joy out right and that's an act of love 
right? And we become more expansive and then the person we're giving joy to expands and now we're acting out in ways that I think that we were mandated, you know, from creation to do. I just love that so much. joy and love get a bad rap in the world of being sort of wussy or nammy-pammy or not serious or some kind of thing. When I think actually, you know, maybe the two fiercest forces on the planet are love and joy. I'm a Christian pastor who's a universalist, you know that. And I just have found myself in these last few years, especially my mom having cancer for about eight years and then dying five years ago. So like a 13-year journey of, you know, like leaving us, Tracy, you know, a little bit at a time. Sticking around, resilient, fighting. Stays for my sister's wedding, you know, stays for the birth of so-and-so. It's just amazing. And I have to say, her love and her joy are the resurrection to me. That's how it's it now. I, 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 wow. She's in the, she's, you know, blue lit hospital room, you know, with the sounds of the thing and the thing keeping you alive and the sucking of the stuff. And like lung cancer is just hard. And you wake up and, you know, I'm sleeping with her and I wake up and she's staring at me. Mommy, what are you staring at? You girl, I'm, you know, just the kind of sassy, funny, (laughs) you know, Frisky, and that didn't die with her. I mean, it it didn't recede with her. I don't think she's the only person who knew she was dying and and therefore kept joy. I, I think that she, it might be tons of people that just know that that's palliative and that's healing, right? And it's sustaining. And I think it's the her legacy. She left us joy and love. And if a person dying of lung cancer can bequeath love and joy, can a dying nation, let's take that, let's look at that metaphor for a second. Mm, can a dying powerful. democracy, come on, what, what's the message for our world from black women about joy and love? I'm so glad you said that because... I think as human beings, we love to complicate things. I think the reason why some people view joy and love as, like you said, weak or like something is because we think that this this life of ours has to be complicated for it to have value, and it does not. And what I experienced for myself is that most of what I've learned about love, I love the language of your mother bequeathing love and joy to you (laughs) because I think the way getting to your point about a dying nation, I, I, I think the way that we fully embrace love and joy is through grief Hmm. and through loss and through the passing of way of something so that the new thing can come about. And I know for me losing my, you know, elder cousin to racial violence in 2018, sent me on this road, right? Like I, I, I had no clue, no intention whatsoever to write about Black joy that was, wasn't on my radar. It wasn't until I went through 
experiencing that call, right, that the shooting that happened in Kentucky that I just posted on Facebook that said, hey, folks, check in, because that's what we do nowadays, because we've become acquainted with this level of violence, mm-hmm. right? I was like, hey, I heard there's a shooting out by my mom's house. Hey, tell me, you know, is everybody all right? And then to get the call that, no, it was actually your family your member. And, wow. and this white man walked in and decided that because she was Black that day, she would die going to the grocery, right? And that sent me, as, as someone who was writing about it and quote unquote doing the work of social justice, for it to land in my lap in that way, took all the breath out of me, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that journey of and then having a severe in 2019, you know, experiencing a severe health crisis that I truly believe was a result of holding in all of that grief and trauma in my body hmm. and being laid out for eight months, you know, like all of that loss and grief opened me up to the idea that there's something else that love and joy might be accessible to me as a, a mode of healing. As a, as a mechanism for healing. And so to your point about this country and this democracy, there it almost feels to me that we, we experience the heights of joy and love when we are forced to grieve an old way of being and moving. And for this country, that might mean a hard push-pull resistance Um, to this new thing that's being birthed that will bring love and joy. I have to believe that. Part of me, even in saying (laughs) this to you, Reverend Jackie, is like, girl, you know. Is it true? This place ain't changing. (laughs) This place ain't changing. Not in your lifetime. You know, like there's this, this, there's a sister on my bus, right? Like there's a sister being like, nah, I mean, that sounds good, Tracy, but uh, (laughs) stop it. You got got your skeptical sister on your your shoulder. Yes. But then there's this other piece that has to believe, that has to have hope, right? Has to believe that there's something being righted, if you will, even in the midst of such um, what feels very horrible, like feels like a horror show on a daily basis. Tracy, I'm with you there. And when we say we have to believe, I really do think that that's the nature of faith. I think there's a day when you're like bipping and skipping down the beach or like having dinner in Paris or something. Yeah, you don't have to believe that day. Right. It's just okay. (laughs) But I think this have to believeness that is our faith, and I'm I'm really serious about that. It's the substance of things hoped for, you know, evidence of things unseen that wants to show itself to us, Tracy, just when things are excruciating. Like, I'm not mad at that. People say people find faith in the foxhole. Good. I hope they find faith... In this crazy time, I hope people get to have to believe that there's more, because I do think that's hope. I, I think it's faith and hope. The words are the same almost in Spanish, or in Latin, I'm sorry, pistis. But this place of, like, stubborn commitment, Tracy, when you say I have to believe, I feel like I, too, am stubbornly committed to believing that these are birth pains, that we are watching something break down because something new is coming, because something better is coming. Something's coming. I don't know what it is. 
but it is going to be great. But my ancestors had that kind of hope. Absolutely. Right? Like, they had to believe when nothing else around them said that this system of enslavement was going to change, when this system of segregation and Jim Crow wasn't going to change, when colonization on the continent didn't seem like it was going to change and independence was not possible. They had to believe they had to that believe. they could see a, a different, have a different vision for their future. And I, when you lose that, you lose the willingness, I think, to really work toward the thing that you're hoping for. Um, because why why work if you don't believe that it's even possible? And I worry sometimes um, about the, the despair that I see. Um, I think that we say all the time, this is not different. We just have social media that shows what's going on in the world. We have, we can get the message out faster to people about what's happening in Supreme Court and this, that, and the other. It's not new. But what I think is new for me that I pray about is the the levels of despair and resignation that I see people have. Because I know that when you lose hope, you're no longer willing to hit the streets or go vote or do all the things that can actually implement the change that you want to see. I think that's right, Tracy. I'm going to call have to believe. I like it. Hope. And it's ancestral. It's in us. That's how we got here. That's why we're here. Yes. That's why we're here on the radio or wherever we're going to be. You know, because it was just, somebody had to believe for us and believed us into existence. What I think is a message from our ancestors to this nation is one way to, to get better is to hope in a God who will show up, to believe in your ability to walk off a plantation and go back and get some more people and do it again, to love your kids and your people, you know, and your aunties, despite the horrific nature of your life, and to ritualize joy, you know, to sing and to dance and to get in the clearing and to, you know, hold on to each other and, and stop and cook a good, you know, make the best you can out of the stuff that's around you. I mean, where does this come from? Is this, is this in our DNA? Is this African DNA stuff? I think that what I would add to what you're saying is that we also, and this is to, to get to what's, what is it in us, I think what's in us is our willingness to expand our notions of what liberation and freedom is and expand the tools that we have to go after it, right? So for instance, in your example, if if Harriet Tubman did not embrace the fact that she could walk from Maryland to Philadelphia, right? That that was possible for her, right? If there wasn't that driving force that said that no matter what, I'm going to get over these rivers and hills and get, get to where I need to be, like that's a tool that was a resource available. She had two legs and she could walk and get where she needed to go. And she knew how to hide and she knew how to, like, so 
What I would say is that I don't want us, even as we are saying that our ancestors gave us this resilience and this bounce back and this ability to be creative and innovative in how we approach our liberation, I just want us to continue to be expansive and and open to all the tools that are available to us, even as we innovate. And the reason why I say that is because I can't parent the way my mom parented me. And my mom did not parent the way her mother parented her. There were things that were passed down, but I have access now to more resources and tools and more um, understanding that I can Mm -hmm. now utilize. And so I, I, I just want to make sure that we expand our capacities because that's how we get to also liberation and freedom. Adding new tools in our toolkit. Keep being wise, listening, learning. Yeah, that's great. A beautiful. Because Harriet had two two feet, but she also had a gun. Yes, she did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She yes, didn't. She did. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And again, I'm not saying that that. I got you. <laughs> she, she, she embraced, you know, whatever was necessary for her her freedom, right? And for the freedom of her people. And I think for us emotionally and spiritually embracing all that we can for our emotional and spiritual and actual freedom is part of the mix that we have to, because some of us be like, well, my mom, it was good for my mama. It's good for me. Eh. Mama is telling you go on and do something else. <laughs> you know, don't take a willow s- switch and strip it. <laughs> that part. Just, just right? have a conversation with your child. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And that part, actually, believe it or not, in my research, is very African. Mm. Some of what we believe makes us, and, and I'm just speaking to parenting, is actually not African at all. But having those rites and rituals and and conversations and discussions and understand that's actually African. And that was stripped. Yes, that was stripped. And we, yeah. Ooh, that's another talk. Let's do it, though. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. (laughs) I want to do that. I think that's right. I mean, we this place of, like, the things we internalized and acted like they were ours, as opposed to sitting around a table talking and, you know, making space for each other and the young people being valued and cherished and not told to sit in the corner and be quiet. That's some white stuff that we took in and we could let it go. I'm glad you said it. I wasn't going to say it because it's your podcast. We can let it go. I want to be honest. Exactly. One one of the things that's interesting, you know, I do another podcast with uh, three black colleagues called The Four, which I, I totally love. And what is so amazing to me, the joy to have this space, this space. There's my space with a center uh, for action and contemplation where my producers are like, go for it. Talk about what you want to talk about. And the people who will listen to this, Tracy, are going to be progressive people, but also white Catholic women, you know, who are going to like go, what are they talking about? And I think I think what I love in this space we're creating right here, right now, yesterday, Christina Cleveland. Mm. Is that is what is ubiquitous about Black women? Come on, I mean, why isn't our stuff, Tracy, the litmus test for gorgeous and wonderful and smart and brilliant and resilient? Like, I want you and I, I want Christina and you know Candace, and I want I want our stuff, our wisdom, our stories, to be the benchmark for how people learn how to love the hell out of the world. Mm. I do. 
So I'm grateful. It should be. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm a firm believer that white supremacy knows that it is. I believe that white supremacy knows how powerful our beauty and our wisdom and all of those things are. And its sole mission, right, is to elevate itself above that, to to keep it. Because, you know, when a Black woman and Black women, um, I was just actually talking to somebody about this, but, you know, when we show up in a room, right, like there's a, some, the atmosphere changes. It does. By virtue of just, our presence, right? And that's powerful. And we don't always recognize it or and or wield it even maybe even the way we should, but like it's there. And that does that's has not for eons, for for generations, has not gone unnoticed. It's the reason why it's tamped down at every turn. That's I think that's right, love. And I think, you know, the next time we talk, I want us to talk about Black Madonna. I want us to talk about Black women's power and fierceness and love. I'm reading God as a Black woman now. Oh, so that's such be perfect. a good book. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was I, such a good book. So I'm going to say get Tracy's book. Do you have a copy of your book there? Black Joy is a book for your shelf. Stories of resistance, resilience, and restoration. Get the book. Get God as a Black woman. Get fierce love. Fierce love, get, for sure. Get red lip theology. I was my <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Tracy, we're going to wrap, and I, I wonder if you have something you want to say to the folks who find this podcast, who are listening. You're a, a blessing, a benediction, a, a takeaway for them to think about how to be better in this hot mess time. There's an old hymn. It might be an old Negro spiritual, but I know it's an old hymn from my, you know, Southern Black Baptist church days that says, um, this joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. And I think if there's anything, I want those who are listening to know that the joy that is in you, that is your birthright, even if you can't feel it, access it, identify it, you feel like everything else is just swirling around you. It's just so much bigger. It's there. It's in you. It cannot be stolen. Hmm. It cannot be stolen even by your own rage, even by your own sorrow. It cannot be stolen. You can give it away though. And so I do want people to decide every morning to choose joy. I have on my office walls, like today I choose joy. And that might mean cutting your toenails. (laughs) Like it might be something (laughs) as simple and as seemingly not joyous. Or it might be, you know, hugging your grandmother. It might be get be on the swings with your daughter at the park. It might be anything, but choose it daily. And what we choose often grows. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a seed, right? And you're nurturing it. You're watering it. You're giving it light. You're giving it all the things that it needs to grow and watch how it makes you more expansive 
The joy cannot be stolen. The world did not give it to you. It is yours already. And they can't take it away from you unless you give it away to them. Mm -hmm. Well, that will preach, Miss Tracy. Thank you so much for the beautiful work you do in the world, and thank you for this amazing conversation. And I'm looking for the invitation to tea on your porch. Tea, <laughs> okay. wine, whatever you want. Okay, red it's wine, here. red wine, red wine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Rumi says, when we do something from our soul, it's a river, a joy. Tracy's soul searching for joy took her all the way to the shore. My search for joy takes me to giggling grandbabies. What about you? Where's your embodied joy? And how do you go after it? Like your life depends on it? Because it does. <laughs>